0: Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense. I'm Kirk Colbert. I'm John Birdsall. How are you doing, Kirk? Doing good. Doing good. Hey, I thought uh, we would do a whole show based on uh, the questions we get most often, either from potential clients... Friends and relatives, existing clients, those types of things, because we we get a lot of yeah. The main question <laughs> I get is, how are you so smart?
1: Yeah, I know, and good looking at the same time. <laughs> I mean, and I and I'm just and I, I give a, I blush and I'm like I don't know what it's, to tell you. It's kind of a natural thing. It's clean living, I good guess. Jeans. yeah, clean living and blah blah blah. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, you know you we know. do. There is a there is a pattern um, of certain questions that are you know just endemic in in this business can I tell you my favorite question that I ever
0: got it was this was actually on the radio show when we used to do it with call in stuff and it's one of the reasons why we don't do call in stuff anymore because the questions tend to be um, ones that can't be answered um, in a particular situation either because it would constitute legal advice or The question is bizarre that um, you can't help but uh, wonder (laughs) how do I address this seriously? So uh, I took a call from a guy he's like, yeah, I was uh, driving my car down the road the other day, you know, and uh, this guy pulls out in front of me when I had to ride away. And my wife said, hit the brakes. And I said, no, I'm gonna hit him. I got the right to hit that guy because uh, I, I got the right of way. So I did. I plowed right into him. And then they gave me a ticket. And I don't understand. I'm like, Okay, well, um, <laughs> just because you uh, n- believe that you have the right of way, and you could be right, you could be wrong. But even if you're right, there's still a duty to avoid an accident if possible. And you can't just deliberately say, all right, your fault, I'm hitting you. You can't do that, okay? And, and And the guy was so adamant that... You know he had the right away and he had the right to, the right to hit, hit this guy and i'm like and i'm like well what if you had killed the person he's like it's his fault not mine <laughs> I'm like, okay well you know i'm telling you how it is and if you don't want to believe me then don't but um yeah what's it what's a question that you've heard so many times yeah there's a bunch um i think one of the one of
1: the I think they fall into two categories. One is making statements to the police, and two is what the police can search. And the the making statements thing is like, you know, if the police show up at my door, do I have to talk to them or do I have to let them in? Or what do do I have to do? And the answer is, you don't have to do a damn thing. Mm -hmm. If they have a warrant, okay, that's a different story. But typically, this is the, the interesting thing that people don't really appreciate, is police, if they're smart... They try to nice sky their way into your door. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't. They're not showing up with battering rams. You know, they only do that when they have, um, you know, a no-knock warrant that allows them to do that, which is a whole other hall of shame. But. Um, uh, but you know, when they show up, they, they're just like, Hey, you know, we're just here to talk to you, you know, we just have a couple questions. We're be all right. If maybe you guys want to come down to the station or we sit down here, what do you want to do, mm-hmm. you know? And they won't tell you what they want to ask questions about. And it's all very mysterious. And you're just like, what's this about? It's like, well, you know, well, let's just sit down and we'll tell you about it, you know? And so what should you do in that situation? Well, most people are taken aback. They didn't have any notice the police were going to show up. They didn't understand, you know, the, that really what the game was that's being played on them right now. And so they'll and invite them in and they'll because they want to know. And so the only way you're going to find out what's going on is by playing their game. Mm-hmm. That's because they set the rules. So um, so people do that and then they start to make admissions. And of course, since you're not in custody, they don't have to tell you, you know, about Miranda or your rights to a lawyer or any of that. So the smart thing to do, and even though it might make you feel uncomfortable to do this, the smart thing to do is say, look, um, the police are at my door, they wanna to talk to us. Um, they say we're just witnesses, or they say they just wanna talk about you know, something innocuous, but you know, um, I'll tell you what, we'll come talk to you when we have a lawyer. That's the correct response. Right. But that's a tough, tough,
0: tough response. It is. is. And that's one thing that the nuances of that type of situation are so um, widespread and, and so many different ways that this kind of thing can come up. But I, you know, I usually tell clients this, and that is police have two basic functions in society. One of them is when you're. You're lost and you need directions, or you got a cat in a tree and they got to come and get a ladder to get it out, or whatever, like something like that. Is that from Dennis the Menace? I don't know, but. I was a family guy where they just shoot the cat, but you know, there's you that. Know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he called the police. There's a cat in a tree. Okay, boom, <laughs> it's not a tree anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we can do for you? But the other function is as uh, you know, as law enforcement, and in other words, gathering evidence, gathering information, and then uh, packaging it up and referring it to the appropriate authorities to, for what goes on there. And it's, it's recognized in our constitution and the way that our rights are designed to protect us that that is an adversarial process. Now, one thing I know that we're gonna do a much more expanded presentation on is the, the recent acknowledgement that there is a problem it's been brewing in our society and, and taking on new significance. And that relates to uh, should the police be allowed to lie? And we, oh you and I both know that they can, all right? But um, along these lines, and to answer this question, the reason why no one should talk to the police um, when they're being told they have the option to do so or not. Now let's take a step back. If they say we have a warrant, we're coming in, you should let them. Okay. Cause you could be charged with an obstructing or something like that. Okay. And if they tell you, you have no choice, we're here on an order, blah, blah, blah. When they make, when they go that far and they say you have no choice whatsoever, then you, that's an indication that it's a scenario where you pretty much have to. Now, that being said, that almost never happens. And what we're really talking about here is the, the paradigm example of the police come to the door. You may be uh, you know, under investigation for something. You may not. You may have done something wrong. You may be completely innocent. But in all those scenarios, it's just as important that you exercise that right to remain silent and don't engage them on their terms. Now, there was a, a great opinion piece, and I don't know if you saw this, John, in the New York Times quite, quite some, I don't know how long ago it was, but um, talked about whether or not we're finally at the point where we recognize the, the risk of obtaining um, you know, involuntary, unreliable information. Should we re-examine the rule that says the police can lie to you? And it was a great piece because it talked about how even such things that you and I are very familiar with, like the Central Park 5 case mm-hmm. um, that was notorious and a very prime example of even, what was that, in the 1980s I believe, right? Right. Where um, Also notorious for the fact that it was when uh, our ex-president put a full-page ad asking for the death penalty to be brought back um, to New York State, which fortunately didn't happen, but that was the impetus for that. But going back to That case and others, uh, and we look at some of the economic, uh, social, and racial disparities that occur in our system, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, and you can do the same thing, John, there is a problem when, you know, I'm just going to use a a black kid as an example, because that's what was involved with the Central Park Five, Um, and the police are there telling you things that aren't true, and in that person's mind it's because of you know circumstances that they've been exposed to in a constant basis where there is no faith or trust that the police are interested in either justice or the truth if you know that if you have that belief and then here they are lying to you the message oftentimes is this isn't about what happened this is about how bad i'm going to be in trouble, and. Then it becomes trying to save your losses, regardless of whether you've done something. Yeah, you're talking about like false confessions,
1: and that is a huge, huge issue. But, you know, the concept of police being authorized to lie uh, about all sorts of things, and we're, I know we're going to run out of time at this segment, so we'll pick it up when we come back, but um, there is a bill currently pending in New York State to eliminate this, to ban this. And um, this is something that I think should be uh, part of any uh, criminal justice reform on the federal level, uh, but in each state also. And I, and I don't see it happening in Wisconsin particularly because it's, uh, it would be perceived as an anti-police thing, but I would pitch it as a pro-truth thing. Right. And, um, uh, and because there's really no valid justification for this it, and and by the way this is nothing that was ever like passed by the legislature this is something created by judges case over law. the years case law right created by judges who said you know it's okay you know the statement's still voluntary because even though they, they they uh lied they corroborated what he said so blah well, let's blah. let's talk blah.
0: about the rationale behind it when we come back right after Got it. messages and we're back <laughs> I'm sorry. We uh, the the red light came on right when John was taking a bite out of it. No, the everything's
1: fine. I, all right, all
0: right. <laughs> I do not even know what you're talking about. Okay. So um, the
1: source of this uh,
0: rule that police can lie is where case law, um, and it comes from. Are you talking about a particular case? Hmm. It's just a its a long line of cases. And I, I don't know who started the whole thing, but somebody like Court did Brandeis in 19- or somebody like that. No, the
1: know. Supreme Court did in the 1960s. Okay. And, of course, that was mimicked in state courts across the country. And I've never understood why police and prosecutors are so enamored with this. Because... Correct me if I'm wrong, but they stand up quite often and say how they are for the truth. And they stand for what's true and right and all that's great in America. And yet, to get there, they rationalize, we have to lie, cheat, and steal to get there. Well, okay, okay, maybe I'm crazy, but those seem like two very incongruous
0: things. Right, it's like, trust us, we're going to lie, for, <laughs> but for good reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, but the 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 most often quoted language from that line of cases is, um, it, sometimes in order to get to the truth, deception is required. And what is our safeguard against unreliable confessions or evidence being presu- produced? Well, an innocent person, Back then, they said, Man, an innocent man would not confess to something they didn't do. It's unconscionable. It's inconceivable. It's unbelievable. And we still hear that today. Mm -hmm. You know, even right up until the present time, we hear that argued in court all the time. That why on earth would someone make a statement against interest? Which is why. I'll I'll segue right into the next most common question that I think we get How they don't have any evidence against me except hearsay. Okay, well, first of all, uh, it, it's, it's not an easy task to determine whether something is or isn't hearsay on, a, on its face value. Some things obviously are, but they're, when you're getting into a case and you're going to try and determine what statements are going to be admissible, first of all, there's a huge misunderstanding in the general public that when somebody, when, let's say there's an accuser that says, so-and-so raped me, and they'll say, well, that's not evidence, that's hearsay. No, that is, no that is not hearsay. <laughs> that, that's, that's somebody saying, or uh, we anticipate that they will say when they're on the stand that this thing happened to him or her. Not hearsay. Okay, so when someone says, there's nothing against me except hearsay, that's not what we're talking about. Now, if uh, Susie told Mary that she was raped and they called Mary to the stand and say, what did, what did Susie tell you? It might be hearsay. Okay. On its, on its very basic level. However, uh, there are so many exceptions to the rule. Oh my gosh, so many. There are, w- there are always ways that prosecutors will try to get this in, okay? Well, first, people have to understand that
1: if you're the accused, you know, you are supposedly have all these rights and, you know, everybody's complaining how, oh, the defendants have all these rights, Marcy's Law, blah, 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 blah right? So, um, but the truth is, is that... Um, anything that comes out of an accused's mouth, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that somebody says that, that if you're the accused and somebody says, hey, he's, he told me blah, blah, blah. Well, that blah, blah, blah statement is always admissible because by definition,
0: that is excluded from the rule against hearsay. Correct, because it's considered a statement against interest. Correct. Which is uh, specifically, that's not even an exception to the hearsay rule. That is just
1: not hearsay. Okay? Correct, that's what I mean. Yeah, That's what I mean. Is it, it's excluded from it. And the reason is, the rationale, and I remember this even from law school. Mm-hmm. The rationale is that... Did they teach this back
0: in the 1920s? Or
1: oh, what? 1920s? More like <laughs> 1720s, sir. <laughs> I am I'm 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 an elder statesman, thank you. Yeah,
0: well you must also have some like you know, I don't know, witch blood in your station. Yeah, well I, I I wrote
1: a cow here um just to get to this uh taping. But um no the the uh the the rationale is that nobody would like we, we go by what they call indicia of reliability, right, which is a silly little legal term, but it's, what it means is, you know, points of why something has gradations of reliability. And one of those is that this is something that nobody would say if it wasn't true. Sort of like a dying declaration, so somebody's like, eh. uh, right. I know, I know, dying declaration, which is, you know, it's one of the exceptions against gets here, say, where, you know, somebody's on their deathbed, and they say something, well, they wouldn't say it if, you know, this is like, wh- like wh- what basis do they have to say that that is reliable? Nothing.
0: I know where that comes from, actually. Do you want, we can take a little side detour Sure. Here. It comes from... There was from, a study of, of no, dying people's no, statements? Oh, I wish there was. no, no, no. This is based on, and some of the rules of evidence actually do reflect this in other ways, but this is the best example in the rules of evidence. It's based upon a religious notion, okay? Uh, And and there's even discussion about this in some of the old case law, that when someone knows they're about to meet their maker... Then they will only tell the truth. it, It would be perilous... Their feet in the afterlife, <laughs> if the last words they said were to be a lie. Okay, now that's nonsense, all right. But that's actually where the rule comes from. It it really does come from that long-held belief. I don't know, years ago that no one would dare state of falsehood when they're, you know, within minutes they're going to be having a conversation with St. Peter at the pearly gates and St. Peter's going to say, what's the last thing you did? Well, I told a lie. Oh, you're not getting into heaven. (laughs) All the other stuff that you did that was good and... You were great right up until Right up until that point. Yeah, then you told a lie and sorry, you know, we we had everything arranged for you, but now we're going to have to turn you back. Tough crowd. Take the elevator downstairs.
1: Tough crowd. Wow. So, um... You know, a lot of our legal niceties—the um, rule against hearsay, the exceptions, many, many other rules that are either statutory or otherwise—are um, really based on some pretty thin
0: rationales yeah, right.
1: or assumptions. Yeah. And and I think people
0: don't fully appreciate that. You, you know, know I, I I agree. And then just as another example as to how. The, the rule about a statement against interest is like automatically admissible. Mm-hmm. It's such an unworkable standard. Um, and frankly, it's one of those things that is, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna come out and say it, abused by prosecutors. Now, traditionally, what we mean when a statement against interest, it's equivalent to what we call in the law an admission. All right? So what is an admission? and it's not necessarily what you might uh, naturally just conclude that, oh, okay, somebody's admitting they're guilty, okay? Yeah, that's an admission. But what has, it's been used, this concept has been used to get in other evidence as a kind of a squirrely way to argue that it means something in the case, even though it's not what we would normally think of as an admission. And I've heard this argued by prosecutors in court. As the defense, we're entitled to say, no, 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 just because The defendant said something doesn't mean it's admissible unless it's truly an admission because that's what takes it outside of the hearsay realm. Right, right, right. right. Then what we hear about prosecutors is, well, anything they say is actually an admission. And, And I always respond by saying, no, if that were the case, it would say anything is admissible, any statement whatsoever. And oftentimes they call the rule statement of an accused. That's not the right language and that's not the right rule. So let me give you an example where I don't think this should have been allowed. At at least the argument is improper because I allowed the evidence to come in for different reasons, but we were debating the issue with the judge and it was a videotape of my client and he, when he was accused of sexually molesting a child, he denied it no less than 40 times in the video, never said that he did never Implied that it was even possible and, and adamantly, adamantly said, no, this did not happen. How many times do I have to tell you it did not happen? This turned into an argument that the prosecutor saying, Only a guilty man would be so adamant (laughs) about not doing it. You remember in the life of Brian when um, they say, um, you must be the Messiah. He goes, no, I am not the Messiah. Only Only the the true Messiah messiah would deny that he's the Messiah. All right, I am the Messiah. Oh, we knew you were the Messiah.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that is a a typical attitude uh, on behalf of police and prosecutors that, you know, once they it really comes down to confirmation bias well so once once they decide on somebody to pin a crime on the evidence falls in place every, well <laughs> everything else that they see supports that in their eyes right Correct. and and um so you know to to go to expand I want you that thought though because yeah.
0: we are coming right out of time. Right Got up it. on the break, so we're going to hit the bumper in just a second here. So Ooh, we'll bumper be back, cars. <laughs> right back after these nice. messages. All right, fine citizens. We are back after that break. Um, all right, we let's pick up where we left off because we were really building up ahead of steam there. We were on bumper cars. If we were, we're on that car. No, that was just what we said. That, I know to, to go I into know. the break, but um, <laughs> you were going down the path of. Talking about how
1: the distinction between, you know, you make any statement at all, is that admissible? Um, And you were talking about, like, you had a client that said, no, 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 (laughs) no. And I had the same thing. And I fought tooth and nail. uh, Because what the prosecutor wanted to do was play, I think, about four or five hours of taped interrogation where my client just denied, 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 deny, And then he would tell a little bit of a different story. And then they'd talk about that for another hour and then, but it was still a denial, denial, denial. Right. And I pitched to the judge. I said, judge, you know, this is just, you know, just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's admissible. Same thing that you did. Right. And of course that fell on deaf ears. Because yeah, you know. because he just felt like, you know, th- that...
0: What's the harm? How is he going to get reversed on that, right? Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, I, I will tell you this. Um, that's not the appropriate way to bring out inconsistent statements. There's a specific <clears throat> procedure that prosecutors are required to follow. Well, we are too, if you're going to impeach somebody, okay? Now, remember, one thing that's kind of kooky, it's a polite way of phrasing it, but bizarre. I don't know. One thing that's that I don't like, let's put it that way, about this rule is that let's put it in the context of what does the right to remain silent really mean at trial under the Sixth Amendment. All right. It means that the state cannot is not supposed to be able to rely upon you to convict you correct so that that's at, at a most, fundamental, that's level, most true. fundamental level that's what it means is that you can't be required to participate in your own prosecution now technically what that means is that at trial when the uh, prosecutions presenting the evidence they can't call a defendant to the stand adversely and have a star chamber like you know interrogation where they oh, they, right. they put the person on the spot now the reason that we allow all this other stuff is because that right to remain silent has presumably not been exercised at some previous point in time. And, but isn't it true also that what our founding fathers, I mean, the founding fathers make regular appearances on our radio show. We should have- like credits yeah. at the end where yeah. it says, We should maybe come, up, one, we, we should maybe with come up with a different
1: name for them. We could, you know. Yeah, um, I can't even think of anything right now. Well, like, right
0: now, we might call them the founders, the greatest generation. <laughs> uh, no, that's already that's already been used. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, those guys <laughs> wearing white wigs, how about that? Guys in white wigs, yeah. Guys yeah. White wigs. Okay, wow. Okay, okay. The guys in white wigs had this notion that it should be difficult for the government to take away rights from you. Because in the balance of power, the people, you and me, everybody listening to this show, regardless of whether you've actually done something right or wrong, um, the government shouldn't use the you know, the uh, justice uh, vehicle in order to squelch uh, freedom of speech, in order to control people in a way that has political motivation in order to, because that is one thing that can happen and has happened in the history of our country is that the government, in order to obtain an additional step of power over people, the justice system becomes one of the tools of that machinery. We can step back and say this is all about, you know, the righteous motive of protecting people and and empowering victims and all these other things that we hear, but the bottom line is that this process has never been, the men in white wigs did not envision this as a way where we would always get to the absolute truth of what happened, no. This is a balance of power between the people and the government. And who was it? Lord Cook that said, it is far better for a thousand men, uh, gu- uh, guilty men to go free than one innocent man to be convicted. And and that philosophy, although Lord Cook was English, it was built into our system as to where where we stand as it relates to protecting uh, somebody who is having adverse action taken against them by a government entity,
1: because before in the colonial days and uh, and in jolly old England, um, that was very common to force somebody to make statements. Right. And of course, um, when they just refused or whatever, that was taken as a sign of guilt. And um, as you know, and maybe as a lot of people don't, uh, there is and it's like a rock. Um, a bedrock principle of uh, constitutional law that you can't make a negative entrance over somebody's silence. Well, it's, and because it's a right. Th- and because it wouldn't it's, be a right. If it's you... a right. Yeah. And for example, I was in a trial many years ago, but it was a federal trial, and we had multiple co defendants. And so one of the other lawyers, during his closing statement, said um, to the jury, It's like, he was telling talking about his client his client his client and then he turned to my client and he goes and we didn't hear one word from him oh, about oh, oh. about how you know he didn't refute one bit of that and i was like objection and oh my god and he apologized to me afterwards cuz it
0: didn't even occur
1: to him that he you know,
0: I, well, probably used the saying, you know, if it was a prosecution witness, not not taking into account the fact that it's another co-defendant, that you yeah. know, nobody can comment on that, and that's just awful. Well, the
1: whole trial was everybody beating up on my client,
0: Yeah, yeah, so. and there was just another one. Another example <laughs> yeah. of it happening.
1: He probably figured it was free-fire zone, yeah, so... Yeah, everybody else is beating on him. I guess I will, too. But, you know, that bedrock principle uh, is I think misunderstood by the public and jurors to say... Um, that, 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 you know, because if you ask anybody who's like, well, you know, at, in jury selection, would you hold it against my client if he didn't testify? He has a constitutional right not to testify. Well, as well, I would want to hear from him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's just like a natural thing. Sure. I would want to hear from him. I would want to hear his side of the story. And um, uh, it's hard to communicate to, you know, just lay people generally about, <clears throat> well, you see, he doesn't have to lift one finger through this whole process, it's
0: the government that has to do all the lifting
1: you understand that I, I actually that. like it
0: when when jurors say that during voir dire because it's a great teaching point to say well uh-huh. that might be a natural instinct but if you're going to be on this jury you absolutely have to put that notion out of your mind can you do that you know and then people are like oh yeah and they they feel like they're back in civics class and they're like yeah <laughs> man that's the constitution yeah absolutely I remember that thing yeah <laughs> and then everybody's having a the big guy with one. the white wigs yeah, the yeah white I wigs. remember them the white wig guys. <coughs> um, um But but I was getting to the point that you know, technically and legally. You know, they're doing the same thing when they're playing the video of your client denying that he did anything. It's, it's you know, in spirit, it violates that rule that you're not supposed to use someone's own statements, you know, against them. And, and it technically passes legal muster because it was something that was said before. And now we're in court. And even though so this is the problem. And this is a problem I always had. When the, in this type of situation. When a prosecutor wants to play this big, long uh, interview, and there's two reasons why they wanna do that. Number one, then they don't have to worry about any of the mechanics of bringing out a consistent or inconsistent statement. But more importantly, what I find they want to do is they wanna have the jury analyze and scrutinize the body language, the look on the person's face, and to find reasons that and, and thinking, this dude's lying, and they, they just put Plant that seed in their head. And if you look for it, you will find it no matter what. I I, I can guarantee it. And it happens every time when, you know, you realize what the jury is thinking as it's happening. And it could be something as simple as, you know, the guy uncrosses his legs and crosses them the other way. Or he's, you know, fidgeting with a pen. And you're like, oh, you know, that must mean something. And it just invites so much speculation. But that is one of the things that the men in the white wigs wanted us to be free from. (laughs) I'm going to I'm going be
1: a little contrarian here. Okay. Um, and that is that we can we, the defense, can use those that same totality of the interview to our advantage in many respects, for example, you know some subtle games the lying by the police mm-hmm. some subtle games that they play about you know um, uh, misleading things about how you're not really you know probably won't get charged probably nothing you just, just misunderstanding you know nonsensical lie you know it's not like outright lying but it's it's very on the fence oh, and safe. then and then one of the things that I I intend to keep challenging is the fact that we have a law against smoking inside and one of the things that a lot of police know, that is a lot of people they bring in, do smoke. And especially if they've been sitting in jail, they're dying for a cigarette. So they're taking advantage of an addiction. Mm-hmm. And so they just feed them cigarettes. And and the, the guy knows...
0: Or the snitch that's the, been in jail for six months guy, trying to find a way to the get guy, out of it. The, the, hey, the, the guy smoke, that's hey. talking,
1: he knows that he's, if he stops talking... No more smokes. No more smokes.
0: <laughs> and he's going, no more smokes. That's it. All right. We do have to take a break. We'll be right back after these messages. We are back. We made it back. Oh, Safely. my gosh. Safely. That, that, it, you may not realize this, but that was an extended break for us because we, you know, for you, it was like three minutes, but for us, it was a bit longer. So. No, it wasn't. Times, uh,
1: time warp. Anytime I'm with you, it just <laughs> flies by. It flies. That's, you know? You know,
0: that's why ever since I met you, I've been getting younger. <laughs>
1: Benjamin Buttons
0: all over again. That that movie freaks me out. Every I never time actually I see saw it. it.
1: I just know the premise.
0: Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Well, it's an I think it's an O. Henry story. No, it's a uh, what's his name? Um, famous the actor writes long. No, no, no. The story itself. The Benjamin. Oh Buttons. no, I have no idea. Yeah, well, it's somebody that who's famous for a lot of other things too. Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's oh yeah. And uh, I mean, it's actually a short story, but they kind of made it into a big movie. You've got to see that, dude. It's like, it's that psych- good? psychologically, you know, profound, like what it would mean to go, you know, to be born an old man and turn into a young child, and, you know, knowing that when you die, you're zero days old, you know, it's just weird. That is, it's that free. is bizarre. Well, it's, you know, it's a, it's good to exercise
1: your mind like that, to mm-hmm. sort of like think outside the box. Oh yeah. You know, we kind of do that in the law. Actually, we we you know, a great segue.
0: That was like a Thank softball you. pitch to you.
1: <laughs> you just cleared the lane for the layup. Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> so, but we really
1: do, you know, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that I'm disappointed with some lawyers is I, I see a laziness where they could be really stretching themselves to protect their clients better mm-hmm. by, uh, by thinking about things in a different way and coming to a different perspective instead of getting into this automation, robotic sort of um, assembly line uh, uh, view of how things work. And the problem is, is, of course, that it's built that way. And so if you start to think outside the box and disrupt things, people get upset with you. Right. And my response to that is too bad. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> please be upset with me because
0: the men in the white wigs.
1: The, if, if, if I if you're upset with me and I'm being and I'm not being obnoxious, I'm just being a polite professional. And you're upset with me, then I'm doing my job. Right now, I know that it's I'm doing not, my it's job. It's
0: not our job to be friends with the prosecutor or the judge. Yeah, you know, and uh, great great example of another question that we get all the time. Uh, I talked to this little lawyer. He says he's, like, best friends with the judge. They play golf every Friday, and they <laughs> they, they play sheep's head on Saturday nights. So, yeah. therefore... So, uh, he says that uh, he can work out a deal with the judge and that uh, everything will go great for me because he's got an in. Well, first of all, um, if any of that were actually true, it would be highly unethical that if someone suggested... <coughs> if they actually did follow through and say, Hey, Judgey Woodgy, I got this... Cl- friend of mine can you cut him a break and they're doing it over the sheep's head you know that would be highly problematic so this
1: reminds me of a great great skit on second city tv if you remember this program oh, i love that show um which if you you should go, if you haven't seen second city tv you got to go on like youtube and watch old episodes but anyways there was this it was this it was this skit called dan money and um it was he was a lawyer and and uh the judge turns is like all right. Uh, prosecution has stated their case. Defense, what do you have to say? And he goes, and he stands up very dramatically, and he's like, "Well, judge." <laughs> he's like looking, kind of like around, like you know, kind of like like see who's looking. And he walks up, and he just, and he just walks up to the the judge's uh, podium, and he starts like taking hundred dollar bills. <laughs> yes. He just starts putting them on. And goes, I think you're gonna find this very persuasive. <laughs> And then the judge grabs the money. And goes, you're right. I do. <laughs> so, um,
0: judge, you tell me when I've been uh, arguing. Yes, long enough yes, here Let to me know. You,
1: let me know when my know, argument has just, just reached the critical gavel. mass. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'll just keep so, on, um, you know, but you know, the money. to your point, I mean, I think that that transactional view of um, justice is one held by a lot of people, including mm-hmm. our ex president, only- um, and and. The, the, they, uh, you know, the suggestion by lawyers that you know their relationship with the judge is somehow going to, you know, get somebody off, to coin a phrase, is is um, I think extremely misleading and extremely
0: dangerous. Dangerous is the right word. You know? because well, it it should be obvious that that's not allowed. And if people think that they're, you know, hopefully there aren't secret uh, discussions and agreements that are held in the back room. And when those things do happen, they usually get ferreted out and people get in trouble for it. It's happened before. You know, not too long ago, it was going on in certain counties to the north of us. um, And where prosecutors were actually receiving money from defense lawyers and the the judges, some of the judges were allegedly in on it. That's like old school Tammany Hall stuff. I don't know. It feels that way. But uh, when someone comes, the, the thing that's most problematic about it is. A, a licensed lawyer that has to abide by the rules of ethics to suggest to a potential client in order to get their money into their bank account that there is something special about their relationship that is going to that that's that's more offensive than the act of actually potentially doing the bribe is is tricking a client into that. So I think it's shameful too. It is shameful. Let's and, just say what it is. You know, I think it's part of my normal introductory meeting with the client when they, when they hire me that I say look one thing that just to dispel any ideas that you might have from watching TV or the movies or if you're a big fan of the Godfather or whatever um, uh, Fredo was a chicken by the way you know <laughs> That's the name of a pizza in a, a, a play, the pizza place we go to. It's all it's all like uh, Godfather based <laughs> pizza names and one of them perfect. is perfect. Alfredo is a chicken, like chicken <laughs> Alfredo. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I sit down the the client. And I say, look, um, I don't know what you've heard, but if you testify, you are going to tell the truth. You're not ever going to lie. You're not, I, this is not about you making something up. It's about you. Anything you say in court will be the truth, okay? On top of that, we're not going to bribe anybody. We're not going to kill anybody. We're not going to tell anybody to make something up. We're not going to do any of that, all right? It is what it is, so get that idea right out of your mind. If even for a second you think that things are supposed to work that way, they are not. And we are going to do this the right way. And you know what? People that try and do that stuff, number one, they always get caught. And number two... That that really does um, sort of, (laughs) it's an insult in the face of what we hope to be the integrity of our system. Look, this is the United States of America, and we claim that we are the best justice system that's ever existed in the history of mankind. And to suggest that uh, there is a slimy, sleazy way of doing this that somehow is better than the protections we have under the law is insulting. To I mean, yes, yeah. you get know out of here, and, and I've won, and you have won countless trials, countless cases. I don't even know how many acquittals I've had over my—I lost count a long time ago. But it's always through good, hard, honest work where. You you challenge the evidence and you absolutely protect that person by using the law and that's that's what feels so good about this job is when you can protect someone from an unjust result because you tried hard and you didn't and you did it the right way.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have be said it better. You know, and and honestly, here's the thing. The idea that, you know, like that's in modern media, you know, in some of these stupid TV shows about how the criminal justice system works, it's always like... They uh, they're portrayed as the uh, the prosecutors are just like hardworking, scrappy, you know, truth telling, you know, <clears throat> hardworking folks. And then the the the, scrappy the yeah yeah <laughs> and, the, and the and the defense lawyers are Armani suit wearing, yes. slimy, bribing, you know, oh, been, unethical. Uh, I know you say
0: you don't really watch Law and Order, but that's that's what it is. Yeah, every defense lawyer is like a slimy, squirrely— Yeah.
1: So if any of that was even remotely true, like none of those people would have law licenses. Right. They would all just be immediately disbarred for all that stuff. And it's 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 ridiculous um, in this sense uh, that so many cases. And we were just talking about some of the victories, not to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, honestly, a lot of cases that are brought, even serious ones, are really kind of thin. Yeah. And honestly, you don't have to do. You yeah. <laughs> Even if you were inclined to, you know, lie, cheat, and steal your way th- to a victory, you don't have to do any of that. Right. You, you just have to look at their evidence and say, "I'm going to peel back some layers," and well, suddenly, and suddenly, this thing comes
0: unri- unraveling. Well, not only that, the thing that motivates me, and I know you too, as well. I shouldn't say you too; I'll get confused. I'll be thinking Bono, but. Um, <laughs> The thing that motivates me to to view this as a calling and a passion is my true belief in um, our system has to work. And the only way it will work, the only way that, that we can be satisfied that hopefully justice can be done in whenever it can be done, it's through the hard work and effort of us abiding by that standard and being proud of it. And you would never be proud of it if you did it by lying, cheating or stealing. No. You just wouldn't. You know? But that's all the time we have, dude. Oh Better no. Go. Yeah. We'll be back next week as we are every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. It's been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. That's amazing. You said that so well. I know. It's kind of like memorized on the inside of my eyelids. (laughs) I just say it very fast. So have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.